Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. off day to all the Mets fans out there. This is Rich Spirago, known on Twitter as Mets Killing Me, and I am one of the three co-hosts of the Metsian podcast with Stan Rich and Mike, and you're listening to our 23rd edition on April 25th, 2019. Again, it's an off day for the Mets, so we have to fill it somehow. So let's talk some baseball. Why not, right? So with that said, I'd like to bring on my two co-conspirators in the Metsian podcast, and let's start. Uh, I never know where this man is, so I'll let him tell us where he is because his job takes him all over the place. But I like to call him the mastermind behind the podcast because he really is. And so uh, good evening, Mr. Sam Maxwell. Where are you tonight, Sam? Well, tonight I'm actually just settled into my home, uh, which is my mother's home, actually. i got to give her some props. Uh, the the Markman side of the family, which is uh, uh, the side that we will be introducing uh, momentarily. And, um, yeah, I'm in Hell's Kitchen, so I can't wait to talk Mets with you. It's always nice to just breathe for, for once, so I'm not just hustling and bustling all over the place, and we can, we can just relax. And like the other night with the gentleman uh, I, we will be introducing, I was able to just chill and watch a Mets game on Monday night with, uh, with, with my family, and that was lovely. That certainly is. And so, Sam, I guess we could say that, like the Mets, you are off tonight, correct? That, that is correct, more or less. I, don't think, I, I think I'm always a little too scatterbrained and, and wired, but, you know, I'm a live wire, and, and I, I appreciate being a live wire, and I accept the, the, the responsibility. With great power comes great responsibility. And there you go. And with that said, I'd like to bring on our other co-conspirator of the Metsian podcast, Mr. Mike LaCollet. Mike, you're usually in the same place, usually somewhere in the great borough of Brooklyn. And is that the case this evening? Yes, it is. As usual, I'm in my man cave in Bensonhurst and uh, just enjoying April. Mets baseball, hockey playoffs, basketball playoffs. It's a good time of year. So all good in the neighborhood. It really is. It's a great time of year, NFL draft tonight and all that. So, um, All right, so let's kick it off. We have a special guest that he's been alluded to a couple of times in, in the past couple of minutes. And so we're going the family member route tonight. Um, we have a, a Sam's uncle, Stan. Stan Harris is joining us. And so, Stan, with that said, I'd like you to tell people who you are, how, what your baseball background is, who have you rooted for your whole life, and, and how'd you come to be a Mets fan, and, and how'd you get so lucky to be Sam's uncle? I guess that's the most important thing. So, so Stan, welcome. <laughs> and, uh, Hi, guys. 
Well, first of all, I was in a lottery, and I happened to pick Sam as my nephew, <laughs> and very fortunately. Um, my background is I am an elder statesman, uh, currently 78 years old, six-year-old mentality, but a 26-year-old desire. So I, I feel I have the world, uh, you know, just where I want it. Um, I was brought up in Brooklyn, and uh, ironically enough, I was uh, brought up as a New York Giant fan, and uh, to be brought up, uh, be brought up in Brooklyn with the Giants, uh, having the Dodge, hating the Dodgers and hating the Yankees, um, it was a little difficult. And uh, when I was about 14 years old, I came in one day and I asked my, I saw my dad watching a Yankee game, and I knew him. I mean, I had him for 14 years. And uh, I said to him, why are you watching the Yankees when the Giants are on television? And again, remember, this goes back quite far before the Mets. And uh, he said, well, I'm a Yankee fan. I said, wait a minute. 14, I'm 14 years old, and you're telling me you're a Yankee fan? And why did you bring me up to be a Giant fan, especially living in Brooklyn? And I don't know if I made this up to be funny or if it really happened. I believe he said that tickets were easier to get. So that's how I started my baseball. Um, but I was fortunate enough at that time to, uh, guys you may have heard of, uh, Willie Mays, um, uh, Sal Magley. These are, are when back in the 1950s and all. Um I love the Giants. They always managed to come in somewhere around second, but they were always my team, and they were always they were always competitive. You know, I I believe you know there's only going to be one team that's going to win, but if you have a team that's at least competitive, that you um, you know you you watch the games and you have hope that we're going to pull it out. Uh, sometimes. You know, not everyone is going to win every game. So uh, that was my giant background. I remember being excited in 1951 when the Giants uh, beat the Dodgers uh, in the playoff game to go to the World Series, which subsequently was won by the Yankees. But uh, the idea being the, uh, there was a lot of excitement being a giant fan. Now, uh, in, in, I believe it was 1958, uh, when they, uh, the Mets came into existence, um, I, when the Giants moved from New York to the, uh, California, I was um, very upset. And I said, if they're moving out to California, I can't follow them. So, of course, I didn't follow baseball for five years. People said, why don't you be a Yankee fan? I said, I'm a National League fan. And, uh, you know, uh, I waited for the Mets to come into being. I jumped on the Mets bandwagon. Um, I enjoy the games. I don't always have the time to watch all of them, although now I have more so, you know, more time. But um, I enjoy the Mets. I like when they play competitively. I like a game that even if we don't win, but it's a 6-5 or a 7-6 game, but I don't like the games, obviously, when it's a nine nothing or fourteen to three, or whatever. Um, you know, they do. They it does tend to bother me. I find that I walk around with a smile on my face when the Mets win for some reason. Um, and uh, 
I hope I didn't take too much time in telling you about this. And uh, but that was that's my story. Well, Stan, you know, I, I think your story is not at all or, or not significantly different from a lot of, of other folks. You know, you're a National League fan, as you said. Your team was the was the Giants. Other people's team was the Dodgers. Okay, fine. They both pack up and move to the West Coast. And and what I've read is that what logically would have happened in 59, 59, 60, 61 would have been the Yankees' attendance would have skyrocketed, right, because three teams down to one. But if I, if I remember what I've read correctly, their attendance went down. And, and it's because the National League fans were never going to become Yankee fans. It just wasn't going to happen. And actually, interest in baseball in general kind of dipped a little bit. So, like you, many, many people maintain their National League roots. Some, you know, some certainly rooted for the Dodgers and Giants on the West Coast, but most didn't. And, right. and, and when the Mets came along, it was a welcome sight. And your story is, is just so representative of that time, and thank you for sharing it. Well, I, I appreciate that. As I say, there were uh, people I know who switched to the Yankees. Um, I just couldn't. By the way, uh, just a note on that is I never was crazy about George Steinbrenner. I felt that, um, well, there were things about him I didn't like. I won't go into detail. However, there were times I wished he was my uh, president and my owner um, because he did everything he could to win. And, uh, you know, uh, it he just wasn't my type of person. Um, so I did wait for the National League. And uh, as I say, uh, you know, I, I've been happy. I've been a Mets fan all these years. I'm not always happy about the outcome or the results. Okay. <laughs> Amen, brother. Um, but, yeah, I, I think we've all felt the same thing about Steinbrenner. You know, as much as we couldn't stand him, and he was kind of not on the, not the highest class with some of the things he came out, that came out of his mouth. He was dedicated to winning, and if he was your owner, you loved him. And um, and and exactly. I think you know, we, once or twice we've complained about the Mets ownership on this show, but but maybe not. Maybe I'm misremembering that. I don't, I'm I'm totally kidding. We complain about them all the time. Um, so <laughs> we, we had a good run, guys, in the off season. We had a good run briefly. So I happen to be a fan of Fred Wilpons. I felt that he did the best. And um, I, yeah, I, I think he did the best that he possibly could for the team. He wanted to win. Um, as far as the current uh, leadership right now, uh, I don't know if I'm that crazy about that. I think that, uh, you know, there are certain people who were given an opportunity and somehow um, they thought they made a hundred, uh, home run but they went. They started out on third base, if you know what I'm saying. I, I think I do. And uh, okay, I, I think you're right. I think you're right. So speaking of our beloved Mets, um, right. they just finished a series with the Philadelphia Phillies, and you know if you could even say certain right. things in April, a, a series right. went for first place. Right? Does that really count? But. Um, Mets took two out of three, but that, that's incidental to what we have to talk about first. Now, I'm a big believer in talking about the gorilla in the room, and the 800-pound gorilla in the room is the incident with Reese Hoskins. We all know what happened. Um, and, uh, Mike, I want to go around on this, and I'll go Mike, then Sam, then Stan, and I think we'll all have very different perspectives. Here are the questions I want to ask you. 
with regard to the Reese Hoskins incident, do you think that Rain was throwing at him, yes or no? And please give me a brief explanation as to why you think what you think. And so it's three questions. Do you think Rain was throwing at him? Do you think Hoskins went overboard with his home run trot? And the third question is, is this over? So, Rain, was it intentional? Hoskins, did he go overboard? Third question, is this incident over or not? And uh, just please give me a couple of uh, sound bites as to why you think what you think. So, Mike, uh, let's start with you. Uh, You and I are the same age. We probably look at this exactly the same way. I'm going to guess look at a lot of things exactly the same way. But go ahead. What do you think, Mike? I do believe there was intention. Uh, I do believe there's a... Uh, you know, those unwritten rules that you stick up for your teammates. Uh, I just read today where the Phillies perhaps were going based on their scouting reports to bust everybody inside, and a couple of those pitches got a couple of our Mets. Uh, I don't believe in throwing at people's heads. If you're going to do it, you get them in the rump. I'm all for it. Uh, So in that respect, yes, that that was perhaps uh, a, a pitch with intention. Uh, but I'm not in favor of, again, throwing up at uh, people's heads. I, I am a firm believer of pitching up and in. I believe pitchers need to establish that portion of the plate. Uh, I believe as a pitcher there's something to be said for making batters a little uncomfortable in the box. Uh, it's a cat-and-mouse game. It's an old-school game. Uh, the answer to your second question, please refresh me exactly the way you wanted it put. Was Reese uh, Hoskins – his trip around the bases, bases, I I found it hysterical. You know, I I think that's part of the game. Uh, And is this over? By no means. Uh, I think uh, the Mets and the Phillies are going to reestablish a very intense and ferocious rivalry, and perhaps this was the genesis of it, uh, and I'm looking forward to it. Uh, And if you look at the rest of uh, the games that we've played against our division foes, you know, we're basically 500 against them all. So, as I said a couple of podcasts ago, I think we're going to be spending the rest of the spring and all the summer just bashing each other's brains in. So, uh, I'm okay with everything except don't throw a batter's heads. Even Noah Syndergaard, when he threw behind, I forgot whom it was, but, you know, if you're going to miss, miss behind, miss far, you know, miss radically, that's okay. Just don't throw at people's heads. Hit them in the rump, get them in the thigh, do something like that. Otherwise, Chase Utley, I'm Mike. Chase Utley. Uh, uh, well, yeah, no, it was throwing at Chase Utley, right? Right, right, yeah. Yes. <laughs> and, and, he, and he missed badly throwing it behind him. Uh, just as long as it's not at the head, that's dangerous. Uh, and in that instance, you know, batters, they, you know, I would presume them as being in the right to retaliate. Uh, you know, we can go back to the 70s of Juan Marichal. Uh, no, excuse me, not Juan Marichal. It was uh, it was the Dodgers. It wasn't Mar- it wasn't Juan Marichal and the Dodgers catcher, where uh, you know I believe he hit uh, the Dodgers catcher in the head with a bat. You know, so these things can escalate out of control. Uh, I would hope that these guys, you know, keep the spirit of the game in mind. Because things will go around, go awry sometimes. You know, big boys, uh, they do this and then they just move on. You know, that's our nature. So uh, I have no problems. Just don't throw people's heads. Do it in the rump. I hear you. Um, all right, Sam, you're up. Um, same three questions. Um, was it intentional? Was Hoskins 
over the top, or did he have a right to do that, and is it over? I first of all, Jacob, Jake uh, Rami, uh, Rami. Uh, it was an Academy Award-winning performance afterwards, uh, saying that it wasn't intentional. That he, he was very on top of his game there. Um, no, I think I think it wasn't just necessarily uh, Rami. I think that it was like you're thrown into a nine-nothing game. The Mets have it soundly. Uh, now would be the time when the stakes are the lowest in terms of putting a runner on. So I, I have to say uh, I agree with Mike. You got to uh, hit him in the rump, one way or the other. In terms of uh, uh, I, I always forget exactly how to say it. Rise Hoskins, Reese Hoskins, Reese, Reese like the penis. Reese like like Reese like yeah. Um, Reese Hoskins. You 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 got to you got to dog it in that moment. I don't know whether it's necessarily over the top because, you know, it, it it was all started the night before. My biggest issue with the entire thing was that I saw the letdown game coming from a mile away. Forget about Jason Vargas, who, again, if you're going to be claiming, and we're going to get into this in a little bit, if you're going to be claiming that you don't need to go get Gio Gonzalez. You have to have a pitcher that can go more than five innings. That's just outlandish, and we'll talk about that later. But my biggest issue with the entire way the Mets came out and performed is that if Mickey Callaway is establishing that we're not going to let us, you know, basically get bulldozed over because they're leading the league and hit batsmen right now, then people are pitching inside to the New York Metropolitans right now. And so I understand trying to be tough, but you got to back it up the next day. You have to be able to back it up the next day. And they left too many runners on. Their offensive performance was putrid. And at that point, you have to not let the Phillies take this as an opportunity to be emotionally charged. So you don't let Reese Hoskins get to that point or he's facing Jacob Rami in a whatever the score was at the time. They were starting to score some, some extra runs by the end of the game. Um, that's my biggest issue with the entire thing. I think that the letdown game was on Mickey Calloway, and he needed to make sure that his players were up to the tax, knowing that the Phillies were going to be, you know, figuratively headhunting the next day. So that, that's my take on uh, the, the whole thing. Good, very good. And and Stan, so you, you know you've been around, you've watched a lot of games, you know, back in the fifties. You know, they say the golden age right. of baseball. You know, all the unwritten rules were were unwritten then, right? So so, what did right. you think? I mean, did you think that that rain was throwing at him? And do you think that what did you think of that thirty-five second home run trot? Well, number one, let's say it this way: years ago, and I'm talking about way back when, people used to pitch inside. And then for some reason, they started pitching outside. They started to get away from, from you know, uh, brushing guys back and all. And it seems that there had been a lot of talk about it, and eventually they started again. Now, uh, before you go into whether he was throwing at him, we had uh, Alfonso, uh, Alonso, Pete Alonso, who, if I recall, was hitting a hand. Is that right? That is correct. Okay, you had Robinson Cano was also hit in uh, with a pitch, if I recall. Is that correct? That is uh, extremely that, correct. Was, 
Monday, yeah. It was he actually, I, wasn't okay. that the phantom hit by pitch? The phantom uh, swing that was oh, hit yes. by a pitch, right? Yes. Okay, okay. That ridiculous okay. call, that ridiculous uh-uh. call where, now, that was that the Philly game or was that the... Let me interject real quick. Yeah. We had the, the uh, Robinson Cano got the phantom call in the Cardinals game. And oh, that was the Cardinals game. Okay. Right. Alonzo right. did, did get hit in the Phillies game, uh, but I think right. he was the one who got hit on the back that forced in a run. Uh, McNeil uh, was McNeil, the other one who got hit. McNeil got hit on the, ha- the hand. My, my, okay, fine. The idea being that, again, you know, two of our guys got hit, uh, one guy the time before. So they, what they eventually did, now, pitching inside, there's nothing wrong. Again, to go near the head, that's, I don't think that's acceptable. However, I do give him credit, the fact of fighting back a little. And believe me, I'm the kind of guy, I don't mind if a guy's on first base and shakes hand with the first baseman. You know, a guy gets the hit. I don't believe offense and defense. I believe in playing hard and tough. But when it comes to being, you know, hey, Fred, how are you, whatever, I'm, that's perfectly fine with me. But I feel that if your guys are getting uh, clunked, so to speak, you, gotta, you have to retaliate a bit. Uh, the trap that the guy went around, he felt that I don't care for when a guy scores a touchdown in football. I don't like the characteristics of, you know, getting crazy about it because I feel that these guys should be professional and, you know, do it like, you, like, you've, like you've done it before. You're supposed to score a touchdown. Don't be a hot shot. Go score smile, high five, and then go go about your business. Something like that, he was doing it to prove a point and, you know, to get it. Did it take away from the game? Uh, I I, I didn't look at it as a big deal, you know. Have your two seconds and goodbye. So, and do I think it's going to carry on? Well, first of all, when you have Bryce Harper on the team, Bryce Harper is is an instigator as well, uh, from what I've seen. And, uh, you know, I think it's going to be – Philly has – they spent a lot of money. they got a lot of good ball players, And uh, they're going to be a good, a good team for quite a while. Now, there were two pitches, and I apologize for my, my age that I don't recall. There are two pitches out there that um, nobody has picked up as of yet. And I'm not talking about um, uh, Gio Gonzalez. But there were two other guys, if I remember correctly, that are out there that are going to cost money, but I felt the, the Mets should have gotten one or two. Uh, do, you re, do you guys know the two guys I'm referring to? Keiko and Timbrell. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Um, to, to bolster up your team, everybody's spending money. They're all building their teams. I mean, the, the uh, National League, the National League East, I mean, when you have four teams, and by the way, as much as I dislike the Yankees, I did like Derek uh, Jeter. I felt he was always a class guy. You never heard anything bad about him and all. But when he went to Miami and he gave some of the Miami good players to our competition, I wasn't too crazy about that. But that's another story. Um, the... Uh, I just felt the Mets should spend a little bit more and get one of those two pitches to add to our staff. 
Well, and, I, and that's a nice segue to where we're going next. And um, and the one thing I, I should have pointed out about the whole Reese incident, as far as I'm concerned, and if anybody just wants to jump in with a thought on this, one, please do. It all started when the Mets were ahead eight eight to nothing, and the Phillies, my opinion, the Phillies stole a base, which I assume the Mets interpreted as, all right, well, if you're going to do it, we can do it. So then Conforto runs in the next inning, and that seemed to be, they showed the Phillies dugout, Kapler didn't like it, Mm-mm. and you know my opinion on that? I think the Mets are 100% wrong. If the Phillies want to run when they're down 8 to nothing, okay, fine, knock yourself out. For the Mets to do it ahead 9 to nothing, that's a much different thing. You're, the team that has the prohibitive lead should not be doing that. And, yes, the other things matter to the previous hit batters and all of that, but that seemed to be the match thrown on the gasoline. And I have to say the Mets should not have done that. And um, anybody have a thought on that? No, I'm with you on that. Those, again, those are back to those unwritten rules. Uh, I don't believe in rubbing it, rubbing it in. Although, you know, sometimes you get, the, you get a collection of guys who that's exactly what they want to do. And they want to get people off their game, and they want to get under their skin, you know. So it, it look to me, it, it, it's not necessarily what gets done to you; it's how you respond. You know, I believe in playing a game with class, and there are certain times. Um, it's like in a basketball game where you're holding the ball with thirty seconds, and you're ahead by twenty. You know, instead of going for another two points to hold the ball, just let the time run out. So I am a firm believer that, you know, play the game with class, you know, and uh, do, you, do you run on something like that? You're ahead, 9 nothing. You know, hey, cool down. Let the, Just don't let them score and let the game end. 9 nothing's nothing to be ashamed of. I agree. I, I think the Mets were out of line there. And, um, and just to wrap this up, I do believe Rain threw at him intentionally. Anybody who thinks he didn't, I'm like, what the hell, man? Of course he was. He was trying to protect his guy. Right. And especially right. when you're the 13th pitcher on the staff, you're trying to curry favor with with right. your teammates, with the manager. I mean, it, it all pointed to that. He did it poorly because he doesn't know what the hell he's doing. Throwing at somebody's head is absolutely inappropriate. Throw behind him, like Stan said, like Mike said, like everybody, like Sam said, it, it just was – I think the Mets handled this thing from soup to nuts really badly. I, I, I really didn't see anything they did right in this case. So, but it has, you know, re, reinstigated the rivalry with the Phillies, and I don't think it's over. I think you're going to see other stuff happening. And um, and it's fun as long as – Can, I, can I just say before we, before we move on, when I, may I just say that the, uh, the substitute teacher jokes about Jacob Rami might just be worth the entire thing, like, like with those glasses in the postgame – uh, interview. Uh, I, I've really enjoyed. They're they're up there. They're up there with the James Madison jokes of that reporter that looked like uh, a founding father. <laughs> if I may, if I may, I just want to cut in and, and say, um, as far as him again, just to go over, as far as him protecting his guys and showing them, you know, at certain times, if a team doesn't react that way and try to to uh, give a prove a point or so, then the other team's going to keep on doing it and, and throwing it close to us and hitting this one and hitting that one. So I think at certain times you do have to react. I will also say, as far and 
again, Jake, uh, our room may be a great guy, a good person. Um, the amount of games I've seen him pitch in, he hasn't impressed me. And I don't know whether it's the pitching coach or whether it's just him, but I've never, I'm not crazy about the Met relievers. I, I, I think that's, uh, you know, I don't think I'm a genius in saying that. Um, they're, they're, uh, right away, the closer, uh, Cruz, Cruz, he is phenomenal. And, Diaz, uh, oh yeah. And, uh, Diaz, what is he? Hey, you guys, I apologize. Old age will co- come into play from time to time. So uh, it's like before I was calling uh, Pete Alonzo, I was calling him Alfonso. So, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but listen, hey, I'm alive and kicking, and that's a good sign. Um, but uh, like I say, Rome has, so far, Rome has never impressed me as. Uh, he looks like he's trying, but for whatever reason, I don't think he's uh, doing best. But I do believe he's supposed to. You got to protect your guys because if you don't, somebody's going to get hurt on your team next. Exactly, I think Rich. If right. I may, mm-hmm. if I may, just expand yeah. on that just a second here. You know, right. they went after our rookies, Alonzo and McNeil, and and that's mm-hmm. that's trendy. When people go after people, they go after the rookies. They don't go after the big guys. You know, because right. that just changes the whole dynamic uh, of the uh, of the cat and mouse. They went after our right. rookie, so it needed to be done. But it needs to be right. done in in a more proper uh, gamesmanship like manner. May I also right. say though that Pete Alonso's stock has risen considerably in the first month because when ESPN was advertising for the game. Uh, Wednesday night, they had a picture of Bryce Harper on the Philly side, but Pete Alonso was the Met. Well, um, it's it's it. You know, you don't want to go too far because you know there's an old song that says it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And this guy well, is coming off like great guns and cool it right now, and uh, let's hope he keeps it up and gets even better. Well said. Well said is right. Um, all right, so so let's move. We've been talking a lot about um, about pitching and how to pitch. Let's talk about pitching on, on the field. And I'm very disappointed that this week the Mets let Gio Gonzalez sign with the Brewers and after he was released right. by the Yankees. So a couple thoughts on that. Um, then I want you guys to comment. Gonzalez signed a $2 million contract. So you can't tell me that that would have put the Mets over the luxury tax because it mathematically would not have. $2 million for a pitcher in this day and age is a bargain. Um, if mm-hmm. you're thinking that Gio Gonzalez is the reincarnation of Tom Seaver, of course not, and he's not going to save your pitching staff. But as Sam said earlier, you're putting a guy out there every fifth day, and if you heard Nelson Figueroa last night, he said exactly this, where if this guy goes four innings and, quote-unquote, keeps you in the game, whatever that means after four innings, you're, you're right. thankful. Well, you know what? You've now set the bar so low. And secondly, and Nelson made this point last night, you're asking the bullpen every fifth day to do five innings, which has a trickle-down impact on every other start. So it is not a good state of affairs when that's your expectation for your fifth starter. And the Mets let this guy with a $2 million price tag walk away because the word is that they didn't see Gio as an upgrade over Vargas, which blows my mind 
And, and so, guys, I need you to talk me off the ledge here because this one really got to me. You, you could say Keuchel turned down $17 million and uh, and it put him over the luxury tax or whatever the hell. Okay. Kimbrell, it would force a few moves. He would go in the bullpen, making Lugo mm-hmm. a starter. Have to stretch Lugo out. Maybe that's not the right, right move, although I think either one could be good. Okay, I'll buy that too. A competent major league starter for $2 million when your fifth starter is Vargas, in whom you are basically saying you have no confidence, and, and you don't get this guy. Oh, my God, it's enough to make you crazy. Uh, Sam, let's start with you. What are your thoughts? I think the first instinct, though, is there might be more to the picture than meets the eye. You know, there's a possibility. We, we never really consider. We all always just, like, say the Mets should have gotten this guy. The Mets should have gotten this guy. What if he didn't want to pitch in New York? I mean, with the Mets specifically. Obviously, he signed with the Yankees to a minor league deal, and it didn't work out. But what if he was just like, I, I just, I, I've got too much animosity from pitching, uh, you know, with the Nationals against the Mets for so many years. There could be so many things. For some weird reason, like, I, and, and this is not me, you know, liking the, the issue, um, because if that really is the rumor, if, if that really is what they're putting out there, that they didn't see Geo as an upgrade over Jason Vargas, that's asinine. There's got to be something else that we're, we're, we're not being, we're not privy to. Um, that, you know, I, I, I just, I think that there, there could easily just, it could just be that, oh, yeah, yeah, I know where I was going with it. That for some weird reason, like, it, it fits when, like, picturing Gio Gonzalez in a Brewers uniform, like, it just, it, it, it makes perfect sense, weirdly enough, that this is how it all went. But for $2 million, you'd, you'd think you could, you could be like, hey, Gio, we really would like you, how about three? one way or the other. So I, I just think that, that there's, there's got to be something else, and, and possibly just Geo didn't want to be a Met, bottom line. Well, you know, Sam, if that – fair enough, yeah. but if that were the case, I think we would have heard that. I mean, all the reporters are saying that the issue is the Mets – and this, I saw this from four different reporters at minimum, saying that the Mets internally discussed Geo, and they felt that he was not much more than a slight upgrade over Jason Vargas, and so therefore they didn't pursue him. And who, you might be right. There's, there, we are not, like I've said in this podcast many times, we are not privy to every conversation, nor are the reporters, so you don't know. But for it to be so consistent that the team is saying, well, you know, we didn't see him as an upgrade, it would have been much easier just to say, he just want to come here, uh, you know, it's not us. It's, it's him. It's like, you know, it's not you, it's me in a relationship. It's not us, it's him. But, um, but no, he, everything that I'm hearing is they think he's not an upgrade, which, Mike, talk to me. Is that, is that asinine, or what do you think? There's no defense of Vargas. Let, let's get that out of the way. Gio, you know what? He really is down-ticking like the crash of 29. Uh, you, you know, he pitched well for Milwaukee last year. Uh, and a number of appearances, 14 appearances, but with Washington, not so much. And I'm talking about uh, last year. Once he got to the minor league this year for uh, Scran uh, of the Yankees' AAA system, the guy yielded 19 hits in just 15 innings pitched. Uh, he's been terrible there. His ERA is six or above without even looking at it. So, you know, when you're doing that against AAA pitching, you know, the red flags go up. There's a reason I always say that these guys are available available, and nobody's lining up to get them. 
Now, in that respect, yeah, I might sound like a metapologist, but I'm not rich, and you know that, because this to me is really about money. They're not going to increase payroll, and I'm not going to drag the show down with all these numbers and blah, 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 but they're just not going to do it, because while there might be a defense against not signing Geo, there's no defense in bringing in Keiko. There's just none, not when you compare him to Vargas. Now, if we keep this into, in the context of, well, he's our fifth starter, who's really, you know, pouring their money into that, into that slot versus, you know, more important needs. But, look, Tycho's going to come down to a, a midseason signing somewhere. People are just waiting out the time so they don't have to give up a draft pick and they can prorate a salary, an agreeable salary. But don't expect that from the Mets because they're just not – going to raise payroll. You know I'm crazy about this, and I'm trying to follow every figure down to the cent. And that's my opinion. So don't expect any changes in that respect. They've only increased payroll very, very marginally. Whatever BDW did over the winter, he did by dealing minor league prospects and, and moving bad money mm. and bringing in other people's bad money. You know, so he did a lot of things, but what he didn't do was raise payroll. And that's why Geo isn't a Met today, and that's why these other guys aren't a Met today. But Geo, you know, he's down-ticking. He may not be the answer, even though he has a good record at, at City Field. But he just may not be that good. And I'm just – these these AAA numbers this year with Scranton, I mean, they're just screaming to me. Maybe it's because uh, he had a compromised spring training uh, different environment, major leaguers don't like to go down, it just knocks them out of sorts. Whatever the case may be, uh, again, I'll, I'll revert back to what I say, these guys are available for a reason. Well, Mike, you raised a lot of good points. One thing I would say, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I, I remember reading this, that Geo's numbers were skewed by his first two starts in the minors. Apparently he got the living crap kicked out of him. And then he kind of figured it out. But it, the numbers still look ugly. But everything you said is right. I mean, clearly it has to be about money because you, you can't argue that he's not an upgrade over Vargas. I mean, Vargas is he, – he's pretty much not a major league pitcher at this point. So, Stan, when you see the yeah. Mets – you know, you, you said this yourself w- w- earlier. When you see the Mets trot this, trot this guy out there every, every fifth day and, and they just let a, an inexpensive guy like Gio go, what do you think? What's your reaction? Well, first of all, I say this. Vargas seems to be getting along for four innings. And if you brought in for $2 million, if you, first of all, uh, let's go back a step. The, the Yankees had him. Now the Yankees, their pitching staff is not, aside from uh, Sabathia and uh, uh, Tanaka, um, their, their uh, pitching staff is not that, uh, not that great. Okay. And I'm I'm amazed that they let a guy like this go who, like you say, had two bad outings and seemed to be picking it, you know, picking it up. These guys start off in spring training, and all of a sudden they have a bad game or two. Look at Syndergaard. Look at uh, the the Grom. They had a couple of bad games. They'll come back. They will pick it up. The guy has been known to be a, a quality pitcher, and I think even if they would have brought him in and let Vargas go four innings and have him have the next four, you could have had the makings of a good guy for $2 million. 
you know, you see this kid that won the 694000 or $94,000,000. To them, what is $2 million, you know? But the idea is they don't want to be hooked in or whatever. Um, again, I think if Fred Wilpon was there, and even Fred Wilpon before that uh, that's, uh, scheme, the Madoff scheme, uh, I think he used to spend money. And then all of a sudden, after that, well, he lost money and this, that, the other. So it is a money thing. I think they definitely should have gotten uh, Gonzalez. The reason I didn't bring it up before was because I'd heard that he signed with Milwaukee. So he's out of, out of the question. But if hindsight was there, well, let's see what he does with, with Milwaukee. I think they should have signed him and possibly in addition to Vargas. And I think Vargas, somehow, I'd like to believe he's going to get better. And, uh, you know, it's only time will tell. Well, if you believe he's going to get better, then, you know, God bless you, because I, I don't think anybody, that's very optimistic, and, and that's wonderful, but um, we'll see. You, I, you could be right. Now, let, let's keep the conversation going around pitching. And let's move to a topic that um, another gorilla in the room here was the Jason DeGrom situation. So, um, you know, when we were prepping for the show, Mike brought this one up, and it's very well well taken, that um, when it comes to DeGrom, here is a guy who was sick, then he had the strep throat, and then he went to having elbow pain and needing an MRI, but then, now nah, you don't really need an MRI because you're through and you're okay now, and no MRI, and, and it was just, body aches from the flu, and it all turned out to be okay. And, and supposedly he's pitching mm-hmm. tomorrow night. So here's the question. Stan, I'll ask you to, to comment mm-hmm. first on this one. The, the question here is okay. going to be, is this really what it is? I mean, because, hey, we've all had the flu. We've all had strep throat. Did he really just have body aches yeah. and his elbow hurt like the rest of his body? Or is this typical Mets mismanagement? And are we looking at a situation where because they didn't – well, I guess they did have the MRI – but uh, because of the way they've handled it, he can get hurt later in the season. What do you think, Stan? Go ahead. Um, you know, with the Mets, you never can tell. You know, a guy's going to be out. He's got a sprained wrist. He's going to be out, you know, <laughs> three to six days. And all of a sudden, six months later, you know, he's coming out of a hospital or something. So you never can <laughs> believe what the – you know, they have good PR, that's for sure. Um uh, with DeGrom, you don't know. I mean, his two games, after the year he had last year, and, you know, you have pitching coaches who, who are there to tell you what you're doing wrong, what you're doing right, and to keep you on track. And the way DeGrom is, um, and also, uh, I look at Stephen Matz. So all of a sudden, Stephen Matz, you know, he had a couple of really bad games, and you said, my God, he started off like a house of fire. And all of a sudden, he, he died. There was nothing he could do. And I'm saying, there's got to be a pitching coach that's working with him, saying, Stephen, when you threw yesterday, your arm went like this, but today the arm is like this. It, it's not, you know, I, I'm not saying a coach is going to be responsible for everything they do, but there's got to be a reason why one day a kid can come in and pitch great, and the next day he gets shelled. Uh, DeGrom, there obviously was something wrong with him that those two games. Let's see what happens tomorrow night when he gets out there and see if he reverts to last year or if he reverts to the last couple of games he was in. You know, um, so I, I, as far as that, again, with the Mets, you never know. 
after it's over, they'll say, well, he had this, this, or this. So let's let's keep our fingers crossed. Yeah, I think so. So uh, before I go to you, uh, Sam, on this one, you know, uh, Craig Carton, who's obviously left the New York scene in, in a bit of disgrace, um, he used to say about the Mets doctors, the Mets doctors, you know, you, you'll go there with, with your elbow hurting and tell you there's something wrong with your knee, which I always thought was really funny. But uh, so, Sam, <laughs> pick it up. Talk about the Grom. What's going on there? Uh, well, I think that, first of all, I think that the Mets realized that they had a PR nightmare on their hands if they if he didn't get an MRI because it's exactly what happened with Noah Syndergaard two years ago. And we saw, we remember how that all turned out. Not only did he go down in throbbing pain, uh, the Phillies, I mean, the Nationals won 25 to 1 that day or whatever it ended up being. So, you know, everybody immediately started bringing that up. And then you were like, I think, I think this is where Brody comes into play because he's the first one to go, first of all, we've got an MRI. Calm down. You know, let's not be panic city here. Uh, and so good for them for following through. And just doing the MRI. And we're talking about cutting costs here. I'm not sure exactly what an MRI, but that's something that also, like, sounds, it's like, oh, God, we don't want to spend another, you know, money on another MRI. You know, and if he gets hurt anyway, it's insurance money. You know, it's like silly stuff like that that you just don't want your fan base talking about because it's a bad look, bottom line. Um, I think that, you know, he had literally been amazing for about 25, 26 straight games, guys, you know, like, and, and, and the flu did seem to be going around. Uh, he had some elbow problems last year and then raked off the arguably the greatest stretch any pitchers ever had uh, next to Bob Gibson. So, you know, and I'm, I'm, as you can tell, I'm, I'm very high on the job that Jacob DeGrom has done for us. I mean, you look at his consistency, he is quietly – while all the spotlight was on Matt Harvey for as many years as it was, quietly been the best pitcher since he came up in 2014, when all of us were excited for Rafael Montero, first and foremost. And then uh-huh. Jacob deGrom came in and covered it. Just, just you know, they handled it so soundly, whether it be the, the regular season or the postseason, you know, albeit other than game two of the World Series. Um, but so so I I think that he's bound to regress somewhat. That's probably one of the reasons why the Mets didn't want to necessarily do an extension right away. But at the same time, I think we're about to see you know Jacob Degrom, especially if we remember 2017. One of the reasons why he had such an amazing 2018 was because he was so fed up with the games that he had at certain points in 2017 that made his ERA in the high threes or the mid threes or whatever it ended up being that it shouldn't have been. It was just a few games where he gave up seven or eight runs that made it like that. And he was so fed up that he went out and had one of the best seasons anybody's ever had in Major League Baseball. So I think that we're bound to see – to see Jacob DeGrom respond in proper form going forward. And hopefully he's okay. I, I, I think that, that the 
the uh, flu is a proper excuse. It makes sense. You'd have some bodily bodily aches. You you wouldn't pitch uh, uh, properly. Um, you know, Noah Syndergaard is a whole different story. I know he's been a little sick as well, but he's also been less consistent over the last few years than DeGrom. So, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing both of them get on track. I think there's definitely more concern about Noah, however. Excuse me, guys. I got to leave the phone for about two minutes. I'll be right back. I apologize. <laughs> Do you think, Stan? No problem, Stan. So, Mike, you're, you're up. Weird. You know, you go from strep throat, like you say, to to a barking elbow, to haggling over an MRI, to having a bullpen session, uh, to, you know, going back to next start as usual, all within the matter of a week. That's a little weird. Going back to what Stan said, as far as, you know, new regime, new training, DeGrom's injury variables, the new ones are Brody Van Wagenen, and as he said, the new training staff and the new, uh, you know, physical science that they're employing and whatnot. What are the constant variables, Jacob DeGrom, and ownership? I'll leave that for the conspiracy theorists to, you know, ponder. Uh, and that whole dog chasing its tail episode was right up until the MRI. So at least they got that done. And as you and Sam say, you know, they eliminated any doubt. It was the right thing to do. But for that brief moment, I really had to think about, you know, what the hell is going on? Because as I say, on the one hand, you have a, a new general manager, new policies, new operating procedures, and a new training staff and new training science. And what were the constants in this? DeGrom and ownership. So I really didn't know what to make for it. But really, let's think about that step by step. Strep throat, elbow barking, haggling over MRI, bullpen session no less. Next start is uh, is a go, all within the matter of a week. Very odd. And as Sam said, you know, to just veer off of that for a second, we have to remember and, and, and you know, remain pragmatic about this. People aren't perfect. The guy was on a record pace. He was in the midst of, of extending his own record. So a hiccup, here we are, and we don't know what to make of it. We're all breaking out in a rash. The guy's human. So as Sam says, maybe he's going to get this straightened out if he's healthy and everything's fine. Uh, but let's not, you know, begrudge him for cycling down from just an incredible pace uh, and, and you know, last year's incredible accomplishment. You know, we thought he was going to pick up where he left off, but, you know, here we are, you know, bugging out o- over what's going on over these last two starts. I'm back, well, guys. Sorry. <laughs> welcome back, Stan. So, yeah, you know, with, with the Grom, it's two things, right? It's a, a natural, I don't want to use the word regression, but he can't possibly be the pitcher he was last year. He just can't be. So he's going to settle back a little bit and still be very, very good. This whole thing, you know, I personally as a fan feel better that he had the MRI and it came back clean than they just said, oh, no, he threw the bullpen. Right. He actually threw two bullpens. It came back and he threw with no pain and great. Because then – the image that came to me, and I'm sure it came to the three of you, was Cindergard, like we talked about earlier. No, I don't want an MRI. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Then he throws a pitch, and he's done for for you know for five months. So, right. 
So we don't want that. So while it's another Mets, and pardon the expression, it's another Mets shit show when it comes to an injury, at least in the end they did what seemingly is the right thing. Had the MRI, it's clean, and we could breathe easier every pitch he throws tomorrow night. So, um, you know, it is unbelievable, though. The, the people have changed. You know, it's not Sandy Aldrich anymore. It's not the same training staff. But the crap seems to go on, and, and that's highly illogical. You know, you're changing the people, but like Mike said, the constant is ownership. Uh, does ownership have a say in this? Don't know. But at the same time, you know, how could this keep happening And the, when the people making these decisions supposedly are different people? Anyway. All right. May, may I also throw it out there? Be, before we move on, I'm hearing on Twitter that they have yet to announce a starter, but that also might be because of the rain. I think you're right. I think um, the last thing they're going to do is warm DeGrom up, have him throw two innings, and then, you know, have to take him out. Uh, the forecast I'm seeing doesn't look good for tomorrow night, but we'll see. But that could be it. That very well could be it. Um, so moving on to another topic, Ahmed Rosario. He um, doesn't look too good these days. It looks too good in the field. Terrible. And uh, there's, uh, you know, he was sick, but he, he missed a couple games and he was sick. So we can't say that that's the reason why he's had the drop season in the field. Um, so my question to you guys is, is it like, hey, no big deal, he's so young, this is going to happen, or are you concerned that maybe he's regressing and hasn't developed at the level that we need him to? Um, so let's, let's wheel that one around, and we'll start with Mike. Mike, you actually brought this up as a potential topic for tonight. What are your observations on Rosario, and are you concerned? No, no concerns whatsoever, no regression. Ahmed's got the yips. Uh, let's not forget these guys have been doing it for as long as we have, you know, put that in quotes, since we're eight years old. So right now, maybe he's just, uh, maybe he needs uh, corrective, <laughs> maybe he needs to have his eyes checked. I mean that, seriously. <laughs> but I'm not worried. Okay, well, that's good. How about you, Stan? Um, Ahmed Rosario, the shortstop, what are you thinking? I've seen him, and I've been very disappointed in him. I thought he was a much better uh, fielder. And obviously, some of the the errors that he's made are like uh, I don't know whether he needs his uh, to get his core checked because he's not getting down on the ball and he's letting the balls go through him. It, it's not where uh, I just feel he should be much better. And if it takes ground ball practice, hey, you know what? You're a professional. You're making money. Do the things you need to get better. And uh, like I say, I, I found it very disheartening. The kind of errors that he's making, uh, I don't think a professional. It's it's interesting. Uh, most of the other high pay, most of the other shortstops don't make plays like that. And uh, again, maybe we have to bring somebody up who's a better fielder. His hitting, he's doing fine, but the fielding is where he needs to work right now. So I think in the long run, he's going to be fine. Just uh, right now, it's very disheartening. I'd like to pick yeah. up on that, Rich. Because remember last year that Mickey Calloway took him aside many times and they did extra, extra, you know, extra credit work on the side with him. I wonder if they're still doing that or if they're not. 
And, 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 and I wish, wish I'm going to run with that. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm going to run with that too, because that's what I was going to mention was it kind of goes back to the idea that he didn't learn the fundamentals in the minor leagues. I mean, maybe that's what we're talking about just on the defensive side, not the bunting side. Well, remember they were giving him extra days off last year to, you know, rest him and not so much rest physically, but, but get him away from the game, let him work on stuff they were treating him like a prized prospect, and you guys are raising good points because have they stopped doing that? Have they? Did they think he's arrived, and maybe he just hasn't yet? You know, maybe that's the case. It's, uh, he what is you guys- young. Again, you got to give him credit for that. But um, like the extra work is definitely needed. Well, clearly, it's you know, it, it something's needed because. The way, you, the way you tend to look at these young guys is, okay, they have to adjust to major league pitching. Hitting a baseball is the hardest thing to do in sports. We all know that. But fielding, I mean, geez, you know, the, the idea of getting the glove down and making the play and all that, that doesn't change whether you're in double A, triple A, or, or the major leagues. You know, you're, if you're a shortstop, you're the same distance away from the hitter. The ball comes off the bat at pretty much the same speed. You know, you've been doing this your whole life. So seeing the defense struggle – is a little bit more concerning. And, um, and so, but I agree. I think he's so young. I don't see it as a regression. I see it as nothing that a little extra work can't fix. And uh, maybe they just have to get back to that. So um, where are we now? So now the Mets have played 24 games and even two dozen, right? They're 13 and 11. And um, the season is about, I think it's, my math would tell me it's exactly 15% over. So they have 85% to go, 15% in the book. Top-line observations. We'll wheel this one around. We'll start with you, Sam. Um, No, obviously 15% isn't isn't a lot of anything. It's a small percentage. But just give me, share with me two or three observations of the Mets at the 15% mark. I really like the way that they bounce back uh, to a, to a, I mean, other than the idea of, you know, one step forward, two steps back, they still won the series, and we gotta, we got to look at the positive signs, especially when we're talking about City Field. You know, City Field has just sometimes sucked the energy out of them, but their, their energy was so low on the road trip that I really like how they responded with energy uh, in front of their hometown fans. You know, they kind of flipped the script because the, the trendy thing for both myself uh, and at the beginning of the season, right before they started the home opener, was the fact that City Field has kind of been the anti-comfort uh, zone, you know, for for uh, a home team. So I, I appreciate the way that they responded, and I hope they continue to do so and make City Field what it should be. Use its strength. It's got a lot of weaknesses, so you've got to figure out a way to play into it the best way they can. And let me just say, also, Pete Alonzo has been extremely impressive. All we heard was that he could hit the fastball, he could possibly crush it, but he doesn't yet know how to hit. And that, that, especially that hit against Jake Arrieta, where the ball was outside the zone, it was a change-up, he, went, he stayed with the pitch and took it down the line the other way to put us on the board. Pete Alonzo has impressed me considerably as a major league hitter, and that is something that stuck out to me. 
Excellent observation. I love that observation because it's easy to say Pete Alonso can hit the ball 600 feet because he can, right? But the good, the, what has impressed me is exactly what you said. He's a good hitter. He's not just a power hitter. That at bat against Arietta is a is a great example. So thank you for bringing that up. That's an excellent observation of the first 24 games, and probably would be my biggest surprise as well. So Mike, two dozen in the books. What are you seeing, or maybe what are you not seeing? You know, I, I, I see the Mets being in the middle of the pack, and I do mean that major league wide. Only the Tampa Bay Rays are really distinguishing themselves with 16, uh, 16 victories to date. You know, the Mets have 13. They're battling for first. They spent the month battling their division foes. And, and like I said earlier, you know, they're all just spending time just beating each other senseless. Uh, basically a 500 record against everybody. And I'm sure they feel likewise. So, you know, we're talking about four good teams that are going to be in the mix all spring, all summer, and into the fall. Uh, The Mets, the Phillies, the Braves, and the Nationals. You know, so I think everything's going according to plan. Now, how we got to this point, well, certainly hasn't been with defense and it certainly hasn't been with pitching. It's been with offense. These guys have kept us in games. uh, And take a look at Mickey Calloway. For all his faults, you know, that we like to harp upon, he's hitting and running, he's bunting, he's stealing bases. Think about that. The Mets are scoring without, you know, being over-reliant on the home run. Those are good things. And those were problems that we had in the past. We thought pitching was going to be our strength in carrying us through, you know, this season. And so far that hasn't been the case until very, very recently. Uh, I'd like to point out Zach Wheeler's start against the Phillies, and I'd like to yeah, uh, get yeah. – Steve Matz for his performance against the Phillies in game one, you know. Uh, So, you know, maybe the pitching is turning around. That remains to be seen. The bullpen obviously needs to get better, but we're in the mix, you know. Uh, And you guys know I always say you can't win pennants in April, but you certainly can lose them, and Mm -hmm. that seems to be far from the case right now. Uh, Good Aprils, good starts, uh, you know, they give birth to competitive summers. You know, and then you get into September, and, you know, I think this is going to be wide open, and this is going to go down to the final stretch. And it starts now. It starts now. They're showing themselves to be a resilient bunch, and we expect the pitching to get better, and we expect the, to get better. We weren't always so optimistic that the hitting would get better. But with the change of faces, and, and, and like I said, Mickey seems to be a little cool with small ball and being a little inventive. Uh, maybe that's because he has some National League sensibility sitting on his bench now. But I'm copacetic with what's going on, regardless of the problems facing him. That's good to hear. Stan, what are you seeing after a couple dozen games? You know, I I hate to say this, but I'm always very optimistic with the Mets. Every year, I we're going to do great, we're going to do great. Uh, before I, I forget, there was one other thing I wanted to bring up, and... Um, now it just slipped my mind because I was listening to what you were saying and not thinking about what I wanted to say. But there was another topic. But a situation was with the Mets, as long as we can stay healthy, I think we will be competitive. I'm much more excited when we come off to a big league and the, and the other teams aren't doing as well because then we have room to to fall back a little but uh, everybody, it's such a competitive East that uh, 
I'll tell you, I'm very glad that we're in, you know, we're right up there with everybody else. I'm not going to say winning. Winning two out of three from from Philadelphia just now, I think, was a big move. All right? The fact that they didn't win the third game, I didn't like that. It was a, uh, a something-nothing score. But, you know, two out of three, I'll take that every series. And I think we'll do well. Um, there was one other item, and I, for the life of me, um, by the way, I, just to let you know, I'm watching the uh, uh, the football, uh, the uh, uh, draft, draft while I'm I'm t- speaking. So every once in a while, I, I thought to leave my mind. Uh, that's less of my age, but other than that, uh, but I, again, I do look for good things. Um, I think the the injuries, if the injuries don't play a big part, and by the way, if the injuries, some of the injuries, if they do come in in the field, I think we have guys to come in and they've got to have a, a fairly good backup system. And again, just think of it this way. Oh, this is what I want to say. You know, hopefully we're doing well in July and Cespedes comes back. And if Cespedes comes back with the team we have now, and if the relief pitching would would hold up, I think we could be very successful. And that is a uh, – I think he's expected back in July. And I just hope his attitude is one that uh, the guys are doing well, I want to come in and make us even better. So that's well, – uh, Yeah, well, about Cespedes, that would be – just a wonderful mid-season acquisition. And um, the funny thing is you don't hear much about that. You know, you, the, the most recent thing I've heard was, you know, maybe right at the end of spring training where he said he wasn't right. going to push it, but he certainly hoped to play. Well, that doesn't say much. And, um, well, but now that it's July, al- I think. Yeah, well, now that it's almost May, maybe we'll start hearing some more. Like, maybe we'll start hearing – well, I heard he was doing limited baseball activities in April, so – Maybe by middle of May, he's running and, you know, taking batting practice. And maybe by June, he starts to do some rehab games. But um, the thought of getting him back into what is already a potent lineup is a wonderful thought. So um, I want to do one more thing before we get to the Mets to wear number 23. And that is, uh, let's talk a moment about Zach Wheeler. Um, Mike alluded to this a moment ago. Wheeler... Wheeler had the Bugs Bunny game the other night where he basically did everything. You know, he, he pitched uh, right. 11, 11 Ks over right. seven over six innings, right? A double, two RBIs, home run, you know, sold some popcorn, sold some hot dogs, the whole thing. <laughs> um, so, but Zach Wheeler's in a precarious situation with the Mets. And, Mike, I want to go to you first on this one since you raised this one as well. Um, he's in a precarious situation. You know, he, he's in his walk year. Um at the end of the day, he's had half of a good season in his career, half of a very good season. So the Mets have to make a very difficult decision. Pitching is, you know, he, he'll command some money on the market. So what do the Mets do here? Do they, do they wait it out and just bid, with, you know, bid for him like every other team? Do they try to buy him, buy him early, you know, maybe before the season, which is something that is fairly rare to start negotiating with your players in season. Do they do something like that? Um, And if Wheeler should walk on them, you know, what people keep talking about the Mets is the Mets have a window. They have a window and they control these pitchers to try to win. 
Wheeler would be the first major one to go. So, Mike, Zach Wheeler, what's the Mets management strategy here with this guy? The Mets are indeed waiting him out. They're going to let this season do the speaking for them, and then they'll make a decision. And I think they'll wind up making a bad decision. I think they'll wind up not meeting his price. Wheeler said so in spring training. He says he welcomes free agency uh, and that he's going to be pretty firm on his ask. Uh, He's my pet peeve this season. I think he's going to have a dynamic season. Uh, You know, his last last start, I think, is uh, something that we're going to see a lot more of this year. Uh, You know, he's just one of those things. the, The thing about Wheeler is being impatient is easy. Being patient is difficult. And after everything that he's been through, I think he's finally at a place where he's always wanted to be. And now we're going to see him excel. Uh, and I think he's going to have, uh, I think he's going to have a fine season. You know, we can define that a number of different ways, but I think he's going to have a very fine season. And ultimately, unfortunately, I'm crossing my fingers, but I, I just do not see the Mets meeting his price, and this will probably wind up as being his last season with the Mets. It's always been a question how long they were going to be able to keep these guys together. Uh, and I think this one is just going to come down to pure dollars and cents. And uh, unless they're willing to meet each other halfway, like I said, the organization has already intimated one way and Zach Wheeler already intimated another, another way. So unless they reach a compromise, I, you know, I'm, 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 this one is just riddling me with anxiety. In the meantime, we're talking about 2019. So I, I think uh, he might wind up being our top pitcher this season, uh, with Degrom obviously very, very close behind, but. Uh, that one-two punch that Seaver and Kuzman gave us. All right, Sam, take it. Zach Wheeler. Well, well, I'll tell you something. I'm very impressed with the way he's been pitching. I keep saying to myself that these guys have to realize that they are our pitching staff is our strength. And when DeGrom didn't have a good game and uh, uh, Syndergaard didn't have a good game, Somebody's got to pick it up, and they've got to have it in their head that, you know what, I've got to do my share because, unfortunately, these guys are are uh, not holding back but aren't doing as well as they should be. And uh, I think that it finally got to him. He's always had good stuff. Just speaking of our patients, a little uh, off the – uh, just a little off here. I went to a doctor today and I asked the doctor, do you treat short people? And the doctor said I had to be a little patient. There you go. Okay. <laughs> with, with that, it takes I knew, a few I knew minutes. It was, guys, I knew he couldn't go the whole show without one of the jokes. Well, I, uh, you know, I could go more, but uh, we're talking Mets now. But uh, I, I, like I say, I think if Fred Wilpon was there, I pretty much have no doubt he'd sign him. With Jeff Wilpon in there, I am not sure that, you know, that's the way it's going to be. I think it's more money. And, uh, listen, we want to see a team. It's not costing us anything. It is costing them. 
you know, uh, when is enough money enough? Um, I think, uh, uh, Mike, I believe you said that it's going to be a money issue. But I think if he has the season he has, Giants have no cho- no choice but to sign him. And, uh, you know, uh, look, as I say, I'd love to see a New York National League team be a winner. So uh, keep my fingers crossed. Sam, Mr. Wheeler, what's going on? I, I'm just – when he's at the top of his game, it's just hard not to be – so thrilled with, with watching him pitch. I mean, that, I was really happy that that was the first game all season. Well, actually, it wasn't the first game all season. Uh, Monday was the first game all season, but that was Matt, excuse me. But when I was watching the, the highlight from Tuesday's game, it's just he works fast, the ball pops out of his hands, and it's everything that we've been hoping that Zach Wheeler could be, everything that we've We've been waiting for him to be, and he's starting to get consistent, avoiding that one inning that always used to dog him. Um, in terms of whether he's going to stick with the Mets, the one thing that I hold out hope for is the fact that he's always uh, uh, lobbied to stay with the Mets, one way or the other, going all the way back to after he was in the potential Carlos Gomez trade that fell apart. He made it known to Sandy Alderson at the time that he wanted to stay with his team, that he wanted to be a part of where it was going. And that, and that has seemingly kept him around outside of the idea that he might not hit the potential that we were looking for. So as worried as, as I could be in the fact that he, he's possibly hitting free agency, I still hold out hope that there could be some middle ground, especially with all the uh, contracts, the extensions being signed everywhere. So, yeah, you know, that, that, that is a new trend, and maybe that works to our advantage here, is that teams are signing their own players. You know, it just seems to be the flavor of the month right now. And if that works out for the Mets and Wheeler, that would be good, because the minute this pitching staff starts to fall apart, you know, with guys going in different directions, that, as Stan said, it is the, it is the strength of the team. And, um, and you'd hate like hell to see these guys start to go other places, and because that really could mean – God only knows what, at the beginning of a rebuild era or who knows what. So, All right, so I want to do two more things. I want to cover, uh, get, to, get to a feature we've done since the beginning of this podcast many, many years ago at this point, uh, where we talk about the Mets who have worn the uniform number corresponding to the number of the podcast. So this is podcast 23, and so therefore we will talk about Mets who have worn the number 23. So... Um, as we alluded to a little bit earlier, and certainly during the prep we talked about this a little bit too, it's not the most robust of lists, um, but there are some names out there, and there are some that you know that put a smile on your face when you see them if you've watched the Mets for a while, guys you remember from the good old days gone by. So um, if everybody has their lists up there and you'd like to say a word or two about your favorite Met to wear number 23, uh, so let's see. Let's start with Mike. Mike, why don't you uh, give us one or two memories of Mets who have worn the number 23? Rich, I'm going to leave one of the ob- obvious ones to you. Uh, I will just say, uh, Jesus Salou just comes one co- comes from one of the great baseball families uh, in baseball history, and he played with the Mets for a year. 
I mean, between his brothers and uh, that just all the extended family. Just just one of those things I, I'd like to throw out there. Uh, Bernard Guilty, 1996, uh, 1997. He he was my favorite man. Him along with Todd Hundley. Uh, have nothing but good things to say about Bernard Guilty. Big fan is. Uh, let's not forget Pat Mahomes is the father right now. What is one of the NFL's uh, let's call him greatest quarterback of the day, not career wise certainly. He's too young to uh, judge him that way. But uh, Mahomes of the Kansas City Chiefs, man, wow. He's got good genes in him. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'll leave it at that except for one other person. Matt Dendecker is resurrecting his career out on Long Island playing with the Atlantic League's Long Island Ducks. So I wish him well, as I'm sure all Mets fans do. Very good. So, Stan, when you look at the, the Mets of Warren 23, if, if you had a chance to do that, um, anybody jump out to you that you'd like to talk about? You know, uh, Sam and I were talking about it the other day. I don't, I, I don't have a list, and for whatever reason. By the way, uh, when I was in school and I played ball, uh, I always n- number nine was my favorite number. But there was always somebody twice my size who wanted number nine. So the next numbers I pick were twenty-three. And I love that number. Um, the the one that uh, recollection was uh, Mike Baxter, when he made that catch in uh, to save uh, Sanchez, uh, the no hitter. Santana. Yeah, Santana. We were at that game, Sam and I, and uh, a couple of others, and uh, you know, um, he that catch was like unbelievable. And he was always a good, solid ball player up until that time when he he banged into the wall, and uh, he was never the same after. But uh, other than that, I was trying to think of some other people. Twenty three. I know I like Yoki. I know I I like uh, Jesus Yalu brothers were great. Um, and I'm trying. And uh, oh, a set Doug Flynn did Flynn. He did. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. he did where. And he was a darn good ball player. You know, I, I really, um, going back to try, I never, although numbers are so important and you want to, you know, you get to see who the players are, but I really can't uh, rec- uh, recollect a lot of others with 23. So uh, I'll pass I'll pass on that. Sorry. How about no, you did three names? How about if these three names ring a bell? Uh, there's Joe Christopher, who played with the Mets from 62 to 65. Uh, oh, Billy, right. Murphy, yeah. Billy Murphy, who played in 66, or at least wore the number in 66. And a gentleman named Bob Heiss. And uh, then you'd go back, then you'd uh, be in the 70s by the time we mentioned a gentleman named Leroy Stanton. So Bob Heiss, Wait. Bill Murphy, any stories about them? I, You know, to be honest with you, I don't remember. And when were they? What years would they be? In the... um, Billy Murphy again was in '66. Bob Heiss was '67 through '68, and Joe Christopher '62 no. through '65. I, you know what? I and I that was in I was in the twenties at that time, and I really um, I don't recall. I guess I'm like the guy who, when you break up with a girlfriend, you know, you forget about her and you go on to the next one. I said, these guys, although I loved them at the time, I'm sure, 
But Ed Hyde, I don't remember. I remember. I don't know if he was a pitcher or. But I really don't recall. I'm sorry. That's okay. You know? No, it's no problem. And by the no way, I just to tell you, I have to tell you a little story about numbers. I don't know if you guys ever have a problem going to sleep at night. But what I used to do, and I did it with the Knicks recently, and what I do it now, the people of Saturday Night Live, when I get into bed at night and my mind is wandering, I go over the lineup of Saturday Night Live actors, and I'll say like <laughs> Beck Bennett and A.E. Bryant and Michael Che, and I'll go alphabetically in the way they, they uh, announce them. And... Before I turn around, by the second time around, I'm out like a light because it takes my <laughs> mind off of other activities I'm thinking about and puts it on that, and it just, it's like counting sheep. So I'm sorry to get off the Mets topic for a second. And once <laughs> It's New minutes, York related. Once New York, <laughs> once the, the team is there, and I, you keep seeing the same guys every day, I'll say one is such and such, and two is such and such, and three is such. And I find it to be a great way to fall asleep. So I hope that's helpful to one of you guys. Well, thank you for that, Stan. And, and Sam, before I go to you at number 23, I'm going to share something sort of similar to what you just said. Um, speaking of Saturday Night Live, I heard today that on April, this date in 1976 was the last time John Lennon and Paul McCartney were ever together in the same room. They were at Lennon's apartment on April 25th, 1976, and they were watching Saturday Night Live. And they asked each other, why don't we jump in a cab? It'll take us 10 minutes to get over there and make a guest appearance, surprise appearance on Saturday Night Live. And then they decided not to. And lo and behold, it was the last time they were ever in the same room together. So I thought I would share that. I heard it on the radio today. That, that would have broken the internet, uh, you know, figuratively speaking. It would have broken the world if they just showed up, right? Um, imagine that. Imagine that. And imagine that, all the people. It was just called Saturday Night. It wasn't called Saturday Night Live in 1976. I heard the whole story on the radio. So, Sam, um, number 23. Talk to us about number 23. Who, who jumps out well, to you? Well, I, I'm not sure if you saw any tweets earlier, but ironically, uh, the uh, Ringo was brought up earlier, and there was a, a long line of tweets that, that uh, both myself and, and Mike were a part of and kind of sent me on a Beatles road this evening, one way or the other. So it's fortuitous that you would bring up John and, and Paul uh, on this evening. Um, and when looking at this list, I, I want to first go to the honorary number 23 because he was a world champion this year, uh, the year that he wore, one of the years that he wore it, and, and that was uh, Coach Bud Harrelson, who was obviously the shortstop, oh, not yeah. with number 23, but Bud Harrelson was the, the I believe, third-base coach, guys. Is that correct for the 1986 world champions? That is correct. Yep. Correct. And also, Bernard Gilkey, was he the one in Men in Black? Oh, uh, if he was in a movie, what movie was he in? I mean, it would have been the, if, if he was in the. He's the one staring at the at the saucers. If it is Bernard Gilkey, in fact, who gets bonked on the head with the ball because he, he's, you know, which is so messed. You know, it was. You're absolutely but right. It was, I, it was the sure. aliens. It wasn't me. 
Um, it, it, it's, it's filled with these types of names. I mean, Jason Phillips, Phillips is on here, but correct me if I'm wrong. He was, he okay. wore a, another number more famously for the New York Mets. Am I correct? You could be. I, I don't recall. Who? 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 Well, uh, who? J- Jason Phillips. Jason I'll, I'll click Phillips. on it real quick. Jason yeah, Phillips, yeah. Was it, wasn't he a catcher? Yes. He wore number three. He wore number three, 26, seven, and the last number he wore was 23. So he did go through a few years uh, with other numbers. But but that was, that was a name that hopped out to me. Julio Franco, who obviously made uh, a lot more appearances earlier in his career with other teams than the New York Mets, right. but, but that jumps out to me. You know, it, it's filled with these types of names. Marlon Anderson, Brian Schneider. Uh, and I would even put Marlon Anderson and Brian Schneider ahead of people like Chris Carter, Blaine Boyer, Taylor Teagarden. Um, Michael Kadire was the last big number 23 because he was part of the National League champions and, and um, a right. big part of, of, of bringing, putting us up into a, a better echelon than we were at the time. Um, Adrian Gonzalez, and right now Keenan Broxton's rocking the, the number 23. Um, Essex Sneed, just one of those names that, that just get lost in the, the annals of, of New York Mets baseball. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm looking at it, and really just the ones that jump out to me are Doug Flynn and, and Mike Baxter. Mike Baxter's one of those Charlie Hustle types, and maybe the injury did affect him in the long run more than it affected Johan Santana, because I think the ankle injury affected Johan Santana more than the arm injury, honestly. Uh, but um, those are those are some of the names that really hop out to me about number twenty-three more than more than anything. And then Kaz Ishii, uh, all of two thousand five, wore uh, you know, which is my first year as a as a a uh, Mets fan. Um, Jermaine Allensworth, Matt Lawton wore it when he got traded to the, uh, the Mets, I'm guessing he did because it was 731, 2001 that he got that name. So, you know, it, it's one of those types of lists where, uh, you know, the next one we're going to have, it, it's a shorter list, but, but even with this shorter list, we have a few very important New York Mets to talk about with number 24. And we will get to that in the next podcast. And, um, you know, as I look at the list of 23, you know, I don't have a lot to add. Chris Carter was called the animal, if you remember. Um, he was a left-handed hitter. I guess he had some wild ways about him, but a power hitter. <laughs> yeah, <that's right>. uh, <laughs> Chris Carter, right? Um, and, and I have to focus. I think this is the one Mike was leaving for me. I have to focus on Doug Flynn. Part of the Tom right. Seaver deal. And uh, Doug Flynn right. was a gold glover, multiple gold glover. Um, very fast, very light hitter. He uh, probably, I don't have his numbers in front of me, I would say his career average is around 230, 240. Uh, good speed, uh, hustled, gold glover, you know, a, a right. kind of a, a down and dirty kind of player and just a really good guy, too, whenever he'd be interviewed. So Doug Flynn was a good Met wearing 23. Um, you guys touched on Gilkey. Good call on the movie. I had totally forgotten about that. Um, and then, you know, as I look at it, I just have to mention Julio Franco because when the Mets signed him, he was, I believe, 46 years old. And the one thing I, I – I didn't understand signing a 46-year-old man in, in a league that didn't have a DH. But the thing I, I will never understand, that if I could have a moment with Omar Minaya, 
I would just say one thing. You signed him in a league that didn't have a DH. Okay, whatever the reason. Why did you give him a two-year contract? Where was he going at forty at forty-eight? I mean, come on. <laughs> if you want to make a case for giving this guy a one-year contract at that at that advanced age to be a pinch hitter, professional, mentor the Latin players, oh, okay, whatever. You gave him a two-year deal. The guy was almost fifty. I mean, come on. You'd, I never understood why you would do that. Who are you bidding against? Anyway. Just I, re- I, excuse I, me. Just remember, 50 to some people my age is a young kid. But that's well, another story. <laughs> and more, more. By the way, if I, I, excuse me. I just want to point out one more thing. We have a third baseman coming back in hopefully the very near future. And the name escapes me, but um, he, who's on the injury list? Who's on the? Uh, but he's uh, Jed, Jed, Jed Lowry. Jed Lowry. Lowry. Yeah, and uh, that's another uh, another pro that's coming back. So uh, I think that will definitely help us. I'm sorry about that. No, that's fine. And Jed Lowry would be a huge help. Absolutely. The guy at 299 with 100 RBIs last year would be great to get him back. All right, men. We have hit the almost the hour and a half mark. So it's time for our last. Can word. I? Can I just? Can I just uh, – I got to throw it out there real quick because, you know, it's number 23. Um, 1923 New York Giants, 95-58, finished first in the National League and were not uh, – did not have a tenant in the New York Yankees. The New York Yankees, uh, 98-54, finished first in the American League, um, and they won the World Series in their new house that Ruth built. Uh, and it's funny to look down here and see Wally Pipp as the first baseman in the lineup. That's very funny. And Lou Gehrig is partially on the team. Uh, in a short amount of time, Lou Gehrig hit, where is it, where is it? Lou Gehrig hit 423 in his short time with the Yankees during this time at age 20. Uh, and the Brooklyn Dodgers, the Brooklyn Robins of the year in 1923, finished 76-78, finished sixth in the National League, uh, fifth of eight in attendance. It was just yet another year for the Wilbert Robinson Robbins. There you go. All right, men. We're, we're going to do the last word. We're going to wheel that around. And before we do, I just want one more interjection here. I have the MLB extra innings package. I'm watching the Phillies Marlins as we speak. And why is that relevant? The Phillies are doing a throwback at home, at home. They are wearing the powder blue road uniforms from the 70s. Guy. Oh, what? That was your road uniform in the 70s. Why don't you wear your 70s home uniform? You're playing at Citizens Bank Park. Riddle me that, Batman. Anyway. Um, oh, oh, boy. Let's go for the last word. Let's start with you, Mike. What's your last word tonight? I, I don't have a last word. I have a question, if I may, for Stan. I have to yeah. know. I know you were a Giant fan. But please, if you can describe to me in any way what the streets of Brooklyn were like in 1955 when the Dodgers won the pennant and the World Series, excuse me, uh, that would be greatly appreciated. Um, you know, it's funny. I'm trying to recall. I remember the Dodgers winning. Was it in 55? 55. 55. I would have been 15 years old. I would have been into baseball. Um, and I'm trying to remember. 
Uh, I know I was always Giant fan, so to me, if they won, see, uh, the good thing about me is I'm a sports fan, but I'm a New York Giant, I'm a, or I was a New York Giant, a New York Knick, New York Rangers, and, uh, and football Giants, the New York Giants. And as soon as my team was out, I went on to the next team. Like now, as soon as the, the Knicks are out, the Rangers, once the Rangers, or the Giants. Giants are out, then they go to the Knicks. Knicks are out, go to the Rangers. Rangers out, go to the Mets. Mets are out again. Well, hopefully Mets will go all the way this year. But, and then go to the next team. So I don't really recall Brooklyn. I do remember when Bobby Thompson hit a home run in 1951 that the Giants took the uh, playoff game from the Dodgers again, and subsequently lost to the Yankees. But I remember all my friends in school were down and out, and I was excited, you know, and I thought they were going to kill me, but they liked me. So, uh, (laughs) you know, but uh, 55, I'm trying to remember when the Dodgers won the pennant. And I don't know. I could probably tell you the team that the Dodgers had at that time. Um as I could with the Giants, but I really don't remember the attitude, you know. But we're all – Brooklyn was a great place. Uh, are any of you from from Brooklyn, did you say? Or any, we got a Mike Benson Hurst boy and Mike. We got a Benson Hurst boy and Mike. Okay. Yeah. Uh, a New Utrecht High School or Lafayette? Um, I'm in between both of them. Okay. So, uh, you know, Brooklyn was a great place to grow up. And, uh, again, I'm sorry I wasn't, you know, I'm sorry I was brought up in a Giants fan. But, as I say, I still had Willie Mays. I still had Monty Irvin, Wes Westrom. And, uh, you know, those were my guys. So I'm sorry I can't answer the other question. The anecdotes are invaluable. Thank you, nonetheless. Well, thank you. Mike, a last word, or is the question going to do it? No, that was it. I, I'm thrilled with just that. <laughs> that, and I'm happy with Mets baseball right now. Ironically, before, before I, I talk about the last word, Rich, I just wanted to say that I went to Phillies.com when you told me about this, and uh, basically I got there. It was one to one in the extra innings, and now it's three to one Marlins. It's Casher oh, to two home runs. Yeah, that's I love it because I can't stand that team. So very good. They just have to hold it at the bottom of the tenth. I'm just so thrilled that I got somebody to you know tell me about the 51 you know game against the Dodgers. I, I, to me, that's priceless. Thank you. I, I you know listening to that was just music to my ears. My pleasure. So Stan, what yeah. is your last word for tonight? Um, just keep the faith, man, and you know. Uh, we look good. There's a great, it's a great possibility. We have a lot of competition. And uh, listen, it's like the guy who won the lottery. When it's your turn, you're going to do it. So he will keep on hoping it's our turn. I like and the by optimism. Way, thank you guys. Thank you guys for allowing me to pitch in. Oh, thank you for joining us. It's been a pleasure. It's been a treat having you. And, um, my last word for tonight would be, uh, I'm not sure if this is a real word, but W-H-E-W with the exclamation point. Um, the Mets are dodged both with 
the DeGrom thing. And um, let's hope that he stays healthy the rest of the year and does what he's been doing, as, as uh, Sam mentioned earlier, been one of the best pitchers in baseball pretty much since he came up. So they dodged a huge bullet there. They've also dodged bullets in the fact that they, you know, Alonzo, uh, McNeil, Cano, they've all been hit and nobody's broken a bone, nobody's missed any time. So uh, they've been a bit lucky in that regard. Let's hope that keeps up. And with that, it's time to bring Episode 23 to a close. And, Sam, um, you know there's only one way to close it. What would that be? Let's go Mets. Mike? Let's go Mets. Oh, sorry. Let's go Mets. <laughs> we all Thank have to you, say Sam. it, so we said it. All right, gentlemen, let's go Mets. Everybody have a good night, and we'll talk to you when we do number 24. Thank you, Stan. Thank you, Stan. Thank you, Stan. Bye now. Bye now. Thank you. Bye. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC.